Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. How do you feel that your own witness, your own lived experience of the faith, affects and influences your preaching? That's the hard thing about being a preacher or anyone who's doing ministry. We never live up to what we want to be. However, I think the preaching helps direct our own lives. It's hard to say something in public that you don't really believe. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Patricia Bruno, a Dominican sister of San Rafael in California. Patricia is an experienced teacher and has served her congregation as promoter of justice and preaching. She directs retreats at which she preaches, often with fellow Dominican Jude Siciliano, whom we just heard on the last episode of Preach. She is also a spiritual director and writer. She says that if she had a braid growing down the back of her neck, one strand would be justice, the second, spirituality, and the third would be the love that hopefully bonds them together. Patricia, welcome to Preach. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's wonderful to be with you. And Jude told us so much about you that we just had to have you on straight away. That's pretty nice. <laughs> I guess that's what partners do, right? Indeed. We promote each other. I would be nothing without my co-producer, Maggie Van Dorn. You're preaching on the readings for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Won't you tell us which specific aspect of the readings you'll be focusing this homily on? Sometimes when you get scripture readings for preaching, it's hard to find a focus or they're kind of diverse. But for this Sunday, it's really incredible. Each reading is absolutely beautiful, and it stresses the love of God, the mercy of God. And I'll be focusing on the gospel, which I don't always do when I preach at Eucharist or any other time for preaching. But I decided to do it because it's a parable, and somehow I think it kind of caught the connections with the other readings. And I also think parables are difficult to understand. We often think of them as being allegories or something like Aesop's fables that tell you what to think rather than wisdom stories of God. Won't you tell us specifically what parable we're looking at in this gospel? 
the parable is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And that also touches into something else that drives me crazy because we have these titles for parables or for events and they slant our direction as to how we hear the scripture reading. I would rather call this the merciful God or whatever. I haven't thought of another title, but it's really more about God than the unforgiving servant. It's kind of like a play and the important actor in this is God. We'll send your notes to Bible editors so that they know not to (laughs) subtitle uh, sections of the Bible. Right. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the congregation that you've prepared this homily for. Who are you expecting to hear this? It's a really important question because I have preached on this before, but this preaching is totally different. I preached on it in congregations of parishes, but because I'm hoping to use this on Sunday for preaching, I'm a Dominican sister of San Rafael, as you said, and we have a university here. So we, on our campus, we have a mass for the sisters, but we also have, because of COVID, not so many college students, but we have neighbors and friends, people we've worked with for a long time or have been our friends. So they'll be there, but it's a mature congregation. We don't have a lot of children or, you know, young families. Wonderful. I can't wait to hear what you have prepared for us. We will now hear Patricia Bruno's homily for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. Pope Francis will be remembered for many extraordinary spirit-led decisions. Certainly, Laudato Si, his encyclical on the environment, and the Synod on Synodality that has already begun to make changes in the attitudes of the world church. And, of course, Pope Francis, like Jesus in the parables, will be remembered as a great storyteller. I hope you've read The Name of God is Mercy. It's a very readable book that Pope Francis wrote. It's filled with stories, mainly stories about Pope Francis's life in Argentina, stories that have formed him as a priest, stories that not only give us insight into his life and faith, but also show us how we can be people of mercy. And that's another thing Francis will be remembered for. Francis's central focus of his preachings, teachings, and storytelling, even before he was elected Pope, is God is a God of mercy. In fact, Francis says mercy is God's identity card. Francis is not alone in this belief. He tells a story about a small, older woman he met in Argentina, an abuela figure, a grandmother figure, who spoke to him of God's mercy. She said, if God had not intended to forgive everything, God would not have created the world. That's a piece of wisdom to ponder. 
Each day we hear horrendous stories of violence. They're too much to absorb and all of them break our hearts. And sad to say, we remember many of the victims by name. However, we also remember courageous stories of forgiveness. One of the stories that stands out particularly in my memory is the one that took place on February 1st, the first day of Black History Month this year. Tyree Nichols was brutally murdered in Memphis. At his funeral, his mother, Rovon Wells, spoke those incredible words I hope I will never forget. My son loved me to death, and I loved him to death. I promise you, the only thing that's keeping me going is the fact that I really, truly believe my son was sent here on an assignment from God, and I guess his assignment is done. An extraordinary statement from a woman of extraordinary faith. We know she's a member of the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church, and we know from her words that God and Rovon Wells must have an extraordinary relationship. Forgiveness is complicated. It's never easy. Yet it sounds as though Rovan has already started that strenuous journey. And my suspicion is that each of us have also had to walk that road. Different scenarios, different circumstances. Yet, as we look back on those hard days or years, we give thanks realizing that it was God's grace that helped us to let go and forgive. The parable we have today of the unforgiving servant is full of hyperbole from the very beginning of the paragraph to the very last line. Jesus uses hyperbole, not a surprise. He's a Middle Eastern man, and he often exaggerates so his listeners will get the point of what he's saying. I don't know about you, but my mother used to do that when we were growing up. She'd say, if you do that another time, I'm going to disown you. Well, she wasn't going to disown us, but we got the point. And Jesus does the same thing in his parables. He exaggerates things to shock his listeners then and now. So we get the point. I'm sure Peter was shocked. Forgiving seven times sounded more than enough for Peter and perhaps for us too, but it wasn't enough for Jesus. Seventy-seven times, Jesus says. In other words, don't bother counting. It's like the stars in the sky, the sand and the seashore. Too many forgivenesses to count. It's the way God forgives us or to use the words of the grandmother, the abuela, Pope Francis met in Argentina, if God had not intended to forgive everything, God would not have created the world. Yes, this parable, like the other parables, is complex. The unjust steward in the parable had a 10,000 talent debt 
an enormous debt he could never repay. In a modern world, it would be like trying to pay off the national debt. Impossible, especially since the steward and his family would be in prison. Absolutely impossible. It's a sad parable, not only because the unjust steward doesn't forgive the debt of someone who owes him just a small amount of money, but especially sad because the unjust steward was blind to the generosity of the king, and his blindness sucked up any sense of joy in his life even the extravagant joy of being totally forgiven, a debt he could never repay. As we listen to the parable, we begin to realize that Jesus isn't talking about money or financial debt. Something else is going on in the parable. The real plot, the real story is about God, a God who calls us to remember what God has done for us. God has forgiven us large and small offenses, our jealousies, our arrogance, our inconsistency, small-mindedness, and so much more. Like the steward in the parable who incurred an enormous debt, we too can never repay God for the abundant mercy we have received. This parable is a wisdom story that begs us to ponder the immeasurable love and mercy of God. It's a story of grace, a grace that helps us see that something beyond the human is at work in our lives that helps us walk the path of forgiveness, a grace that in this parable is named mercy. The parable reveals the very heart of God, a heart of love, our God who is mercy upon mercy upon mercy, as Thomas Merton says his experience of God was. And Merton isn't the only one that holds that wisdom. A few years ago, we had a hundredth birthday party for a friend of mine, a grandmother figure, a great grandmother, a wisdom figure for sure. So we asked her, what wisdom has she learned over a hundred years? What was she grateful for? She said she was grateful for her family and her friends, especially those of us who were at her party. And she said, I'm grateful for my faith. She said she had learned a lot during her life. She learned to be less judgmental, more forgiving, to let go of the small things and to be more acceptable of others. And she said, I'm grateful for God for accepting me exactly as I am. And I'm grateful to God for a hundred years of life, a hundred years of forgiveness. Just think, I received a hundred years of mercy. Each of us can say the same, maybe not a hundred years of mercy, but 40, 60, or 90 years plus. In fact, the very first words we said at this Eucharistic celebration today were, 
Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And once again, at that very moment, we received mercy, God's forgiveness. And for this, we give thanks. That was Patricia Bruno for Preach. After the break, we'll hear how Patricia thinks about preaching as one instrument in the greatest symphony of the Mass. Welcome back to Preach. Patricia, it was wonderful to hear you preach, especially after we've just had Jude on the show, who told us so much about the work that you've done together, the collaboration that you have in preaching retreats across the country. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came about and your collaboration together for you as well? Well, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. Jude was in charge of the formation of the Southern Province of Dominican Men when they were students in Berkeley. And I had been doing formation work with our Dominican sisters. So we wanted to have the influence of a woman on the team. And so he asked me to work with him. It was a great experience. And I learned a lot, too. So from there, I was doing justice work. And as you said in the very beginning, justice and spirituality for me worked together. And that was true for Jude, too. I don't know if he mentioned about working at the prison and bringing the brothers to San Quentin. For Dominicans, it's part of our lives. It's part of our preaching. So we decided to slowly move into full-time preaching Retreats, we started, I guess, for deacons and their wives, and then we started doing parish retreats and congregational retreats for sisters. I believe in collaboration and in working together. Jude is a great preacher, so, you know, we will talk about each other's preachings and see how that works. I think also I approach things differently than he does. Sometimes our process might be somewhat different because I did some teaching and preaching too. But I remember Pope Paul VI said that preachers have to be witnesses, not just teachers. So what I strive to do, and Jude does too, is bring in stories so it can teach people in an easy way, help reveal where God is working in their lives, in their everyday life. You said that your approaches differ, yours and Jude's approach. How do they differ? And do you think that it's because you're a woman in terms of your approach to preaching? Well, it's a hard question. I think it's because I'm a woman. However, it's probably more personality and experience. So that really is different. I think that affects it. I also think somehow, well, I know, I know how Jude prepares, and I prepare quite differently. I sit very quietly for a long time. One of the sisters I live with says, you know, you're always in preparation. And she means, I listen to people's stories. I'm not just at my desk all the time, but it's like things are always evolving. 
I think Jude is a lot more direct. At least he sounds that way when he's talking about his preaching. It seems he sits down and he writes pages upon pages. But I think he begins with the heart of the story. And I think it takes me a long time to get to the heart. And I begin the preaching in so many different ways before I choose the one I'm really actually getting to. I just feel he goes to the heart of it a lot faster than I do. I mean, I think that's really important, not just because, you know, you work so closely with Jude and I'm sort of playing a comparison game between the two of you, but just because for just think of my own approach and think of the approach of many preachers, our approaches do differ, right? But there needs to be something which connects us. And I think that which you speak about, that preaching as a witness, seems to me to be a key value <laughs> that we should all have in our preaching, that we should all speak from that experience. How do you feel that your own witness, your own lived experience of the faith affects and influences your preaching? That's the hard thing about being a preacher or anyone who's doing ministry. We never live up to what we want to be. However, I think the preaching helps direct our own lives. It's hard to say something in public that you don't really believe. So, you know, as I try to help people get the experience that I have had when I've been working at the preaching, I try to find the point of just stirring people's imaginations or stirring people a sense of joy or renewal or insight and hope. You know, too, as a preacher, you work at something and then all of a sudden you get the aha, so to speak. And that's what I try to somehow get over to others. And I think storytelling is a good way. When you introduced the readings for this homily, we had a little back and forth between ourselves about the titling of the sections of the Bible, and certainly this parable as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And then you went on to say, well, actually, I think this is the parable about mercy, and your homily showed that. It's really difficult to preach forgiveness, right? It's, it's not something that we come to <laughs> very easily as a community especially in a world riddled with the violence that we've known. And as you made very clear in this particular homily, in the case of Tyree Nichols, how do you land the message of forgiveness in a world that seems so unforgiving? I think, yes. I think this is a really tricky subject. And I was thinking about it. I think if this were in a parish, I would be really careful to put in something that would say, first of all, forgiveness is different from reconciliation. Forgiveness is possible, but reconciliation is not always possible. I would like want to be sure that people felt, especially women, that if they were in an abusive situation, or if they were in any way threatened, that they wouldn't hear the church say, just forgive, mm. without saying, get out. We're also talking to people in parishes where the church has not always had the best reputation. 
to connect this to the braid you don't have. Right. <laughs> you spoke about justice, right? And and somehow forgiveness needs to be linked to the idea of justice, that it isn't simply, I rally very strongly against this idea of forgive and forget, because I think that if we forgot, forgiveness would be easy, right? It's easy to forgive when you can't remember the hurt. It's a lot more difficult to forgive when you remember the pain and know that you can't go back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about forgiveness with that is if I cannot do my inner work and be able to get through that, I'm the one who's held in prison. The other person can go off on their merry way. And forgiveness is for me to be free. And we know, it, just as you said, Ricardo, that not only do we remember it, but our bodies remember it. The body keeps the score. Right. I wonder if your experience as a preacher in retreats is somehow linked to this idea of preaching a more challenging message. Because on a retreat, people can really take it in, sort of hold it, wrestle with it. It's much more difficult, perhaps, in a parish situation where, you know, you're seeing the person once a week and you're not able to accompany that. What do you think we can learn from preaching in retreats that we can apply maybe to regular preaching on a Sunday? I love that question. Don't want to forget that very last part of it. But I think when I say preaching retreat, sometimes we do it at retreat center where I'm sitting right now, Santa Sabina. So what Jude and I do, we preach at all the masses on Saturday and Sunday, and then we do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. In the morning, one of us preaches at mass. And then after mass, we have simple refreshments. We take a passage of scripture for anybody who wants to stay or anybody who wants to come in because they couldn't get to the early morning mass. And we do a 45-minute reflection, kind of Lexio Divina, but a little differently. And then in the evening, we have about an hour prayer service where we have preaching, but we also have a ritual and we get the people from the parish involved. And that goes back to your other question I don't want to lose, which is for me, at Eucharist, preaching is only one part of the event. And so I see it as everyone has their parts to be involved in. For example, the music. I mean, often I speak to the musicians and try to figure out hymns that might also support what we're saying or broaden what we're saying. I remember at St. Columba Parish in Oakland, African-American, or Our Lady of Lourdes Parish in Atlanta, Georgia, Dominican Parish. You know, we spoke to the musician and music came in at the very last part of the preaching. That doesn't have to just be in an African-American parish. Or if we're going to be preaching using the first scripture reading from Mass, then to be sure to talk to the person who's going to be proclaiming that so they know that there might be something we want them to be sure they say correctly. Or it can even enhance the whole event of the Eucharist or the prayer service by having the petitions somehow focus. 
and even changing the response of the petitions, you know, to wake people up. I mean, if it's on hope, we might pray, let us be steadfast people of hope rather than Lord, hear our prayer. So I think involving everybody reminds them that they're part of the whole. Their part is important, but they're part of the whole. The whole Eucharist, the whole retreat service is the preaching. I think it just it demands so much more work on the part of the community weekly to really think through the liturgy and to really involve everyone in that process of liturgy. But it's a good reminder, certainly for me as a preacher, and I'm sure for those listening, of just what is possible when we really focus on preaching as one element of the whole that is the liturgy every Sunday. And I do believe good liturgy, if nothing else, Catholics want Eucharist. That is the time to grab them. What I'm hearing from you is very much this idea that preaching is more than simply the homily, right? The entire act of the Eucharist and hopefully what we do beyond it too, if we take that which you brought to us at the beginning of this podcast, the idea that preaching is witness, everything we do in the liturgy and everything we take beyond the liturgy. I often say, when I say go, the mass is ended, that's when it all begins. That's what we are being sent out to do. But preaching itself is suffused throughout the moments of the liturgy, in the liturgy of the Eucharist, in the liturgy of the Word, in the Creed, as you put it in your homily, in the penitential rite, and how important that is to consider that. And we haven't really spoken about that yet on this podcast. So I thank you so much for raising that concern and the importance of seeing preaching as one element of a greater whole. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. Did you know that America Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? 
If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.